0: Welcome back to the United Pubcast for your audio-only podcast and a little bit of a special episode. I'd say special episode um, with a heavy heart, Larry. Uh, Manchester United's treble is still our treble, but it has been, unfortunately, reached. Now, this has been recorded before Manchester City beat into Milan. We are assuming the worst, unfortunately. Uh, Manchester City have just completed the treble. Now, unless they were 3-0 down and Erling Haaland has scored four bicycle kicks in injury time, it it was not (laughs) as dramatic as ours. So I think that will be one of the reasons as to why Manchester United's treble was far better than Manchester City's. But um, we're just going to have a bit of a chat to make ourselves feel better and make the listeners feel better as to why Manchester United's treble does remain better. And there's probably about 115 reasons, which we'll get into, um, no doubt about that but as i said um if you are or do enjoy the audio only podcast please do leave a like or a rating or whatever your pod, podcast app does allow you to do and a review that'll be very much appreciated this will be a weekly occurrence uh, larry and i have a chat at the pub and just a little bit of a casual chat away from as i said um sort of the transfer rumors match reviews match previews etc we'll just have a look at a little bit elsewhere and um hopefully you do take some joy from it. But, um, Larry, I do have some trivia for you before we start. I'd like to start this podcast with a little bit of trivia. Now, don't answer the question if you do know the answer. But um, if you are playing along at home, answer yourselves um, in your free time. But um, Manchester City have just beaten Inter Milan, or as we say, um, we assume they have just beaten Inter Milan. We also played Inter Milan in our treble-winning season. Now, we went, went on to achieve the treble, knocked, knocked Inter Milan out of the Champions League in the quarterfinals, went on to win the treble... Manchester United signed a player from that Inter Milan squad the following season. Who is that player? Now that is for Larry to answer at the end of the podcast, and there is also an answer for you guys listening at home. So have a think about that. But the question again, Manchester United obviously won the treble, not knocking Inter Milan out in the quarterfinals. But the following season, we did sign someone from Inter Milan to Manchester United. Who was that player? But all things said now, Larry, um, we are Manchester United fans dealing with another club from Manchester, Manchester doing the treble. How do you feel?
1: Uh, Well, how do I feel? A little disappointed, but not as upset as I would be if it was Liverpool or Chelsea or or any of the major players like Arsenal, etc. And and we're going to get into all of it, obviously. But like you said, Tom, outside of the footballing reasons, which are crucial, there are 115 reasons why, again, this... Manchester City treble victory just doesn't hit the same because let me start with an obvious one the roots of Manchester and the roots of Manchester United and the the canals that are referenced on both teams logos talk to a rich industrial history on which Manchester was built Manchester City is everything that is not in sync with Manchester
0: do, do you think in regard? Which look, I completely agree. But do you look at that and what sort of the, how proud we are of 1999? well the, our our whole history as a club, but especially that treble. And the, you look at the home homegrown players and sort of their impact on the treble. And we'd haven't had to go spend whatever it was. Now Manchester United did spend money in '99, of course, but we didn't have to go and spend all the money on Erlen Haaland. Have a club built completely for Pep Guardiola, not by Pep Guardiola. We will it for Pep Guardiola in terms of the tools we'll put there before his arrival, Stralix Ferguson had to do everything from the ground up, I'm sort of think. So is there a thing, as you can hear, that Guardiola isn't happy with that as he's just gone past (laughs) in his uh, motorbike. But um, in regards to that, do you think, are you taking joy, because I am, and maybe I'm clutching at straws, but are you taking joy in the fact that Manchester City might, in the back of their minds, always sort of feel the same, as you just said, in regards to it is a bit fake, it is a little bit hollow, and the reason we enjoy it so much is because Manchester City deep down they know they don't really have I'd say a right to enjoy it as much
1: look I think the City fans will enjoy it the same way that we're sort of debating does Sir Jim Ratcliffe take over does Sheik Jasim take over someone else unfortunately as fans our opinion our voice our preference in terms of ownership isn't something that we get to decide on so while Manchester City's victory is hollow, uh, as, as football fans, they'll enjoy it. They'll, they'll lap it. they'll lap it, and they'll enjoy the bragging rights that then come with it. I think it's a sense of enjoyment for everyone else. And if we're being really honest with ourselves as Manchester United fans, it is a sign, though, of, of how mismanaged we have been as a football club, because United have spent comparatively with Manchester City. Now, granted, they've spent more... Um, But all in all, you have to say that we really didn't manage our funds well. We haven't had a football plan. So let's look at it from the other side. If you look at what Manchester City have done in terms of the players they signed before Pep Guardiola came in, that's the bit that actually stings me. It's a football club with a plan. They knew who they wanted. They gave him the backroom stuff he needed. He didn't like the goalkeeper he brought in, so they let him have another goalkeeper. They didn't like the defender that they brought in, John Stones, so they brought in Laporte and Diaz. And at times, those two players have sat on the bench, and John Stones has had two or three years to integrate into the Manchester City team. It, it's these things that burn you. It's, it's a football club that
0: is backed a manager to the absolute hill. But have they been able to back... Now, obviously, Sir Alex Ferguson was back, but were they able to back Pep Guardiola... Because of who they are, because of their sort of run by a state in regards to they're able to put all these things in place, or it's just good decisions, like no matter how much money they had, in terms, of, okay, they had to bring the sort of spend a lot of money on the people, to, the right people to come in and make those decisions, but it's not off the back of, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson's doing, like he, he could have gone anywhere, but Pep Guardiola was sort of, or City were built for Pep Guardiola to come in, they wouldn't have done that, wouldn't have the people in, that, in those positions to make those decisions if it wasn't for. Um, been run by a state.
1: Yeah, that's a really valid point, but then I look at someone like Arsenal, or a football club like Arsenal, where Mikel Arteta, in consecutive seasons, finished 8th or ninth or 8th, wasn't it, two seasons in a row, Um, but they still backed him. Now, granted, they didn't back him to the extent of Manchester City, in terms of funding, but they've given him a lot of money to spend. I think Arsenal spent the most money in the 22-23 summer transfer window, so... I mean, it can
0: be done. But I think that's where it comes back, which I agree, but it always comes back to Arsenal are a massive club. Chelsea are a big club, OK, they did have that sort of, sort of big investment from Roman Abramovich. Liverpool are a big club. You look at Newcastle. Now, Newcastle have been a big club, but now obviously we've got sort of, sort of new investment. Manchester United have always been a big club, even we will we'll get relegated. We're still one of the biggest clubs, if not the biggest club in the country, off the back of the first club to win the European Cup. Um, from England, so I'm just thinking Manchester City, yes, may have spent all this money, they spent it correctly compared to other clubs but they've just been, it's because they did win the lottery, and and look, here we are where, where some of us are begging for Qatari owners and here we are, that's sort of hypocritical, because we'll, we would have won the lottery in regards to the change of fortunes, our club will then, then see but that is the bugbear in regards to why Manchester City or how Manchester City have become sort of in this position
1: That's that's where you're spot on because Arsenal Where they've backed Mikel Arteta, Arsenal will be a big club if they finish 10th every year for the next 10 years. Manchester City were the equivalent of Wigan and managed to get backed by billionaires. If those same owners went to Wigan or Luton or. Who's another club that I can think of off the top of my head? uh, QPR. Then those clubs would have been in the same position Manchester City. Well, it,
0: well, the Manchester United discussion is Qatar, or well, Qatar and PSG. Now, PSG were a pretty big club in France, but not they, they weren't winning the title every single season. It's not like it once was, in terms of you look at your Marseille, your Lyon sort of thing. And I'm just thinking, I think that is the almost classic example PSG and Qatar and Abu Dhabi and Manchester City.
1: Yeah, I'd even say Manchester City are a bracket below what PSG were, because um, PSG were always finishing top four, top five in. Ligue But yeah, you're right and, and that's fundamentally No one cares Like, that's the problem no... I, I
0: agree completely Here we are talking about it
1: Well, we're talking about it because It's a yeah. Manchester rival I think if this was Yeah If Chelsea won the treble I don't think there'd be a, as much of a disappointment There'd be a Okay, you know what? That's Chelsea but because it's Manchester City, because there's been a gradual improvement, because they're a football club from the same city, you can't help but take notice. And the history of Manchester United and Manchester City and the people of Manchester going to each other's football matches up until the 80s. Um, so there's something in that where Manchester United fans almost had a soft spot for Manchester City. But that's obviously you know, diminished over time as, the, as Manchester City have become more competitive and received
0: investment from the from the golf area. Do you think, here we are, and look, neither of us, and I'm sure hopefully the listeners at home are getting, or sort of understanding that we're not taken away from how brilliant Manchester City are and sort of their achievements, and obviously a brilliant football club in regards to the way they are run, I just have an issue of how they sort of found themselves in that position. But they're a brilliant football team, players are absolutely brilliant, they're going to achieve great things, so taking nothing away from what they're doing just in regards to holding on what's sort of special as a Manchester United fan compared to what Manchester City might not sort of experience as a fan base. So I then throw that back to in regards to... I talk about the fans maybe not enjoying it as much because oh, we sort of, Manchester United did it, let's say, so-called the right way compared to what Manchester City... But in regards to our, I'd say, connection-slash-relationship with the players, I think this plays a huge part now... I'm sure the Manchester City fans love Erling Haaland. I'm sure they love Kevin De Bruyne. I'm sure they love Pep Guardiola. I'm not taken away from that. But I truly feel, and you can correct me if I'm wrong and call me being bitter, but I truly feel Manchester United fans have a far stronger connection to the likes of the Class of 92, to a Roy Keane, to to a Alex Ferguson than a Manchester City fan would have with an Erling Haaland, a Kevin De Bruyne, an Ilkay Gundogan. Am I being bitter with that? Because I truly believe now, I've had this discussion with Newcastle fans. Newcastle fans believe they love... Newcastle more than Manchester United fans, love Manchester United, and I say that's absolutely bullshit. With Manchester City, though, I truly believe I love the, that class of 92 and that, that group of players and that, that core more than what, let's say, a Nathan Ackie comes in or a Ruben Diaz comes in. Not, yeah. not to say they don't appreciate and respect and sort of do fall in love with those players, but I, I truly believe our connection with that group of players was far stronger than what they feel to this group of players. His... his...
1: Let's elaborate on your point a little bit. So if you look at Roy Keane, 99. Now, he obviously didn't make the Champions League final, and we'll come into that. But I just want to stay on the theme that you've just touched on. Roy Keane had been at Manchester United at that point for seven years, I want to say. He signed in 93, right? 93. 93, so we got to 99, 2000. So if I I can't count, which, look, I can't count, it's seven years. Sounds about right. At at that time. Well, thank you, mate. Um, So it would have been his seventh season, right? And then on top of that, the Class of 92. So we saw the likes of Giggs, David Beckham, the Neville brothers, uh, Nicky Butt, all at the club, all contributing to the treble winning season. There is something special about that. And and on top of all of that, we had, under, under Sir Alex Ferguson, it, this all plays into it, and this is what the ultimate triumph, and why the triumph was so special, Tom. It was... United finished 11th and 2nd and back to 13th and there was a lot of jumping and uncertainty and fans wondering whether Fergie would make it and then he won the FA Cup and then he continued to build on from there. And then it all culminated in the treble winning season. United took this gradual journey to get there. So when you're watching as a fan, there is no greater thrill, I don't care what sport you follow. I don't care what team you follow. There is nothing better than watching homegrown players play in the football team. And Manchester United had the perfect blend of experience, players who had been there for three, four, five, six, seven years, and that was blended in with homegrown players. So naturally, you're invested and connected to the football team. Outside of Phil Foden, where's the connection as a Manchester City fan to that football squad?
0: Yeah, it was almost, as you are sort of alluding to all those points, it was going to be my next question in regards to... That surely plays a part, as I said, in regards to our emotion and our sort of connection to that group of players and what Manchester City are currently... I'm, as I said, I'm sure they love Phil Foden and they, they have every right to. I'm sure they love Kyle Walker, Kevin De Bruyne, Erling Haaland. But even if they are, I don't know if that just there's a difference in regards to the way Manchester United fans sort of look at our club in terms of... We support our clubs because of the history, because of the tradition. Where a lot of the fan base now, I would say, I don't know whether I'd say it's a small or a large part of the fan base, but I would say a small percentage of Manchester City fans are probably, in regards to the global scale, a small percentage is the proper Manchester City fans who are from Man... I don't want to say from Manchester, but were there before two thousand eight. Uh, I think if you're to if weigh up the whole fan base now, a large chunk has come after 2008. Now, some may, might make the case of that with Manchester United and post-99, of course. But I do think Manchester United were the biggest club in England before that. So we had, so, let's say, so-called glory hunters before the year 2000 sort of thing. But that connection we had with Paul Scholes, Nicky Bart, David Beckham, Ryan Giggs, et cetera, that is simply unrivaled compared to even Phil Foden. Like, I understand there is a connection there. Well, there Well, yeah. Well, and he comes
1: on in the 85th minute in the FA Cup.
0: Yeah, well, and look, as as great as he is, I think he's, I wouldn't say criminally underrated, but close to it in regards to his impact. I I think he's a brilliant player. I think
1: Phil Foden walks into United's eleven right now. Like, if you look at what Anthony... I think he's our best player. Well, well, yeah. If, If you look at what Anthony's been offering on the right, he's shown glimpses, but he's been inconsistent. You put Phil Foden on the right of Manchester United's attack, he evolves the football team.
0: In regards to the class of 92 and sort of that... Emotion towards the group of players. It goes into my next point in regards to why I believe, well, why I know. I'll will say why I believe, but I truly do know this: why our treble is far more special. And again, that sounds bitter saying that. Fair play to City for, for their achievement, of course, but I ain't want to take the high ground as a Man United fan. And why our treble was far more superior. The stories behind our plays, the stories behind our experiences as fans. Whether you were there and you experienced it at the time, or you've sort of gone back and researched. What happened that season? I do look at the stories, and where do you want to start with our home grand player, our David Beckham? So there, Phil Foden, our David Beckham. Off the back of the 98 World Cup, in terms of hung out to dry by the English media, being sent off against Argentina in the World Cup. The way he came back, the way he was treated by the media, the way he was hung out to dry. His story to come back, and not just play well, not just be win a Premier League, not just win an FA Cup, not just win a treble, to be the best player in the world. Like he was. Like obviously, Rivaldo did win the Ballon d'Or. But if you go back and look at the stats, if you go back and watch the football, you look at what he achieved. Can you imagine now winning a treble and performing at that level and not winning the Ballon d'Or? Simply, he would, have been, he would have got the award these days automatically unless your name was Lionel Messi. But David Beckham's story simply unrivaled. In that season now, in terms of his career, well, what a story it is. But that 98-99 season from David Beckham, from where it started against Argentina at the World Cup, and sort of fans burning in effigies that first half of the season. Well, 2-0 down away, 2 nil at home, 2 nil down at home at Old Trafford in the first game of the season against Leicester. And we came back 2-2, David Beckham scored a free kick in injury time. And a 2-2 draw against Leicester, that's, something, that's, a, that's a crisis these days. They're all celebrated so much in regards to we're back on track and David Beckham's I've arrived back. I just look at back stories like that. Mm. I know that plays a part. Now, someone points could allude to a points tally. Or a goal record or how many trophies. I truly believe in regards to the way we sort of look back at football and sort of weigh up achievements, stories like that play a huge part, not just numbers.
1: Well, that ties in to reason number two. Um, United had a siege mentality. United were the most hated football team in England and continue to be till today, despite our lack of success over the last decade. And that, as a fan, is something you remember. It was that's when we started after the Beckham campaign that's when you started seeing a lot of United fans saying Manchester over England and and that's kind of stayed with United fans ever since um and and that helps like no one hates Manchester City because they're so irrelevant um and and to be honest if you're a neutral and you turn on the tv and you watch Manchester City play it's beautiful football like it's it's football in its purest form it's Quote unquote tiki taka. They keep the ball well. They make football look easy. So it, it's quite difficult to dislike them. And and the, like the point we touched on with the class of twenty uh, sorry class of twenty two class of ninety two, they don't have any English players outside of Phil Foden. There's no sense of home identity for those fans who are attending the games week in week out. So as a rival fan. How do you even look at that squad of players and hate anybody? If you remove the Manchester City badge, I like most of those players. Yeah. Like,
0: good footballers, you'd take all of them at and, Manchester United. Even not just this team, but the players they've had over the last four or five years. Yeah. You look at a Vincent Company a David Silva, a Sergio a Guerreo, Aguero. Yeah. They're all players who, I've made no secret of my thoughts towards Mohamed Salah or Jordan Henderson sort of thing, who are achieving sort of great things at Liverpool. Yeah, I hate those players. Now, maybe that's a Liverpool thing over a Manchester City thing, I'm not sure. But um, Manchester City's individuals have all been kind of just great footballers and sort of got on on with the job. If someone
1: gave you the opportunity to sign Vincent Kompany in his prime and put him next to Rio Ferdinand, snap your arm off, right? And obviously we came to Love Vintage, but if you got the opportunity to sign Vincent Kompany and put him next to Rio, you're doing it. There's none of this, oh, he plays for Manchester City, I'm not having it. You'll have it. When Owen Hargreaves went to Manchester City, no United fans cared there's like that heated rivalry isn't there and even now the heated rivalry is just not there the think,
0: heated rivalry do you look at that different in regards to separating our fan base macho and fans local manchester united fans and the global fan base who don't have to deal with manchester city fans every week
1: no i i think it's the i think it's one in the same to be honest I, even if you i know enough mancunians to know that when they deal with manchester city fans it's almost like well it's one city we share it Um, and and there's no hostility because Mancunians are Mancunians I mean they all kind of behave the same the hostility with Liverpool the cities are rivals the way the people behave are are rivals Merseyside and Manchester have a similar feel but that's the whole argument ours is better the way we do things is better Um, I like Scruffy Murphy's more than I like Cheers because I'm a Manchester United fan like everything's a competition Um, and, and that's kind of and even in the industrial revolution there were rivalries between Liverpool and Manchester so there is an, there's an embedded and inbuilt hatred between the two cities so it's easy to hate uh, uh, Liverpool um, and then obviously in terms of the football pitch Fergie came in and he said I'm going to knock Liverpool off their fucking perch as a fan you got behind the manager You're like, well, you know what, he hates Liverpool, we hate Liverpool and we're, yeah, we're going to go beat them and then you saw the stuff with Luis Suarez, Steven Gerrard, and that kind of fueled the rivalry as well further into the 2000s. With Manchester City, again, like it's not there.
0: It's just not there. Well, it goes back to the original point in regards to this part of the podcast, in regards to stories. I look back at this, and again, this is recorded before the Champions League final, but let's assume the worst-case scenario has happened. As I said, unless there's absolutely crazy drama... Can you name a story around Manchester City this season in regards besides the 115 charges? Can you remember a moment from Manchester City this season? No. That's the thing. The the, the style of football they play is good to the eye, but every game looks the same. But I'm just saying, you go back to the treble. Okay, you got the you know, obviously last minute goal from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, of course, but you got the final day of the season in terms of being one nil down at home, coming back and get the win. You got the FA Cup final, or the, the FA Cup it was a fifth round, I think, against Liverpool in terms of being one nil down in the 89th minute, coming back and winning it. As I said, you, you got wins or that draw the first game of the season. The, the battle against Arsenal, like Manchester City, while they were in, let's say, a so-called title race this season with Arsenal. Really, was it a title race? Like it was, a, it was a title race in regards to the points. Um, in terms of needing, needing teams to drop points here or there, but in regards to a battle, Pep Guardiola and Ars- uh, and Mikel Arteta. That's not a battle. I, I know, I know. There's a relationship there. But it's not a battle. Arsene Wenger versus Stralix Ferguson, there's a weekly battle. There's press conferences. They're they're having barbs at each other. Pep Guardiola's hugging every single manager he can see. I'm just thinking that plays a huge part in every manager wanted to beat Stralix Ferguson because they didn't like him. Now, obviously, I know there was a respect and they did like him, but they wanted to beat him because he was the Manchester United manager. A manager now comes up against Pep Guardiola. They're trying to get his autograph. And I'm just thinking... That sort of feeling, in my opinion, plays Ten a huge part. Ten Hag
1: is the only manager who is steering away from that. Let's not forget Ten Hag worked with, Ten, um, worked with uh, Pep Guardiola at Bayern Munich, but everything that Ten Hag said post-match, we're the only team that can challenge Manchester City. Uh, we, we need to push on. We need to get more... Tra- Ten Hag's almost putting it on himself to make a rivalry with Manchester City. He started that the first day, of the job where he said all errors come to an end. Yeah, and and that's the difference. Like I think Ten Hag respects Pep, but he's not willing to be buddy buddy with Pep. He's not looking to be friends with Pep. He acknowledged there was a professional relationship, and he's going to look to overtake him. And that's the difference. When I look at Mikel Arteta, I don't see a desire to overtake Pep. I think he still looks at Pep in, and looks in awe of Pep. Whereas with Ten Hag, and look, maybe that's an age thing. I think Ten Hag's in his 50s, and I think that's a factor. Michele Ted is a young manager, but Ten Hag, you get the impression, he reminds me of Fergie a lot. He really does. There, He's there Dutch.
0: Are, there definitely are, and I think I think it may be right. more of a Dutch thing. Again, not specific to Ten Hag, but definitely that Dutch feeling, definitely, yeah. and Stralix Ferguson's the furthest thing from a Dutchman. Yeah. But um, you definitely can see that sense.
1: Absolutely, and... It, yeah, it's funny how you see the similarities, and that's why the, there's something about Ten Hag. He has an aura. He has an aura that Jose doesn't like. Jose had an aura, but Ten Hag, you you feel he's on the cusp of building something. But a crucial point that you didn't bring up in, in when you were talking through all the amazing achievements in '99. Let's not forget the Champions League final. United
0: were without their two best midfielders. Yeah. Have you ever seen a Manchester City player this season get an injury or a suspension or anything? Have they never well, not been? Run at, enough to get have they ever not been at full strength? Because it goes into the point of Roy Keane, Paul Scholes missing the final.
1: Well, yeah. Well, look. And at the end of the day, we've seen these debates around the '99 squad or Manchester City's treble-winning squad, and I'm going to call it treble-winning squad because it's Inter are not winning outside of a divine miracle. Um, what you can't debate is Manchester City's squad is better. And that, and that's not a knock on the ninety nine team. It's because, look at the midfield that started in the in the Champions
0: League final. It, it that shouldn't be a winning pivot. A lot of people always forget that, and I've said and I'd not not throw his name back into this, but I thought thought it was quite. I wouldn't say damaging, but quite concerning. As I said, I've made my feelings known towards um, about Mark Goldbridge in regards to his knowledge of Manchester United, and he thought Phil Neville started. Now, I know we're a, we're a week in midfield against Bayern Munich, but he thought Phil Neville started over Ryan Giggs in the Champions League final. But a lot of people might forget, but the starting line-up for that midfield because Roy Keane and Paul Scholes were missing, David Beckham, partner Nicky Butt in central midfield. And obviously two of my favourite players growing up. But um, not yet the so-called strongest Manchester United central midfield pairing. And obviously it was Jesper Von and Ryan Giggs on either wing. But um, I do look back at that in regards to what these players had to go through in regards to. It was two group stages back then. We We played Bayern Munich and Barcelona in the group stage. Now Manchester City, to be fair, this group have had a decent run in regards to the opposition. They've had to beat Real Madrid and Bayern Munich in the Champions League, of course. But in terms of we had to play the best... And look, Real Madrid, to be fair, probably are the best team in the world now. I know they haven't won La Liga this season, which might allude to something different. But the Manchester United teams we had to beat... Oh, sorry, Manchester United beat in 99. We had to bet Inter Milan, as I said at the start of the podcast. They had, that Juventus team. That had Ronaldo. But then I'm looking at Bayern Munich-Barcelona, but then you go to the Juventus team, which you just said.
1: That was the best team in the world at the time. If you,
0: if you look at the names, and I always, I always use those names when I go back and defend Roy Keane in regards to his ability. Everyone, whether you've seen the match or not seen the match, you hear Roy Keane in football, you say, oh yeah, that night in Turin, that was his best performance. And you could easily say so. But the reason I always go back to that performance and say why it is his best performance, or not so much his best performance, but...
1: his most influential. Well, I
0: why I use it as what a good player he is. Because I just say, forget the how he played, what he played, whatever you think of that. Just look at the other players on the other team, and if anyone in the world says you were the best, you are the man of the match, and you look at the names on the other... Uh, on the other team sheet you think well you have to have something about you you're not just someone who goes and kicks people you're not someone who just shouts at other people if you look at that Juventus team back then you had Edgar Davids Alessandro Del Piero Didier Deschamps Antonio Conte um, Inzaghi like the names just sort of roll off the tongue and for any player to be considered man of the match and not be part of that Juventus team, you have to be a good footballer. Absolutely. So, so when I look at Roy Keane and he gets this, oh, he was just a thug, or he just, he just shouted at people, he had good players around him. No, to be a football player and sort of be regarded as the best player on the pitch, that takes some time. The one man I missed out Zinedine Zidane. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, to be the best player on the pitch with those names, Roy Keane, now look, you, you can point to now, I believe the, the best player in the world at the moment is Kevin De Bruyne. He plays for Manchester City, fair play to him. But in terms of, I'll go back to the stories. As I said, we don't know what happens in the final, if it is a dramatic end or not. But go back to a big moment this season, the, the big moments I remember this season in the Premier League race for Arsenal, in terms of big moments, Wade, Aston Villa, Jorginho, that sort of own goal came off the crossbar. I think they got a last-minute winner, that 2-0 down came back, got a last-minute winner against Bournemouth, I think 3-2. I can't think of anything big ones with Manchester City but as I say well outside to... of the goal
1: that they scored 12 seconds into
0: the FA Cup final yeah, well besides oh, thanks Larry um, <laughs> uh, thanks for <laughs> well, reminding me that. look I've got to be honest you know, actually that, that, that does play a part probably in their story in regards to if they want to swing the scales back in their favour in Manchester United the really <laughs> goal
1: like the technique by Gundogan <laughs> and then you add the fact that it was 12 seconds in it's memorable well my main factor is it's against Manchester United yeah um, but back to the Champions League final United were 1-0 down in the 89th minute, Tom. And then they managed to win 2-1. And Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, which history will now tell you, becomes the future manager of Manchester United, tells you why this football club, why Manchester United Football Club is a special football club. For someone to be part of a history like that, and again, uh, rival fans use that as a stick to beat Oli with. Oh, he scored a tap-in in 99. Well, did he? Yeah, well, he had to be there.
0: I don't see other teams doing that. Do you think a huge thing in regards to trying to take bragging rights? Which one was better? I, I again, I, I truly believe this as to to why because football has changed. Um, we can maybe maybe sort of draw examples from other, other situations and other aspects in other sports or other sort of other other fields. But um, being the first to do it in regards to, to back then, like was it sort of a different game? Is it harder to do it now or harder to? to do it back then but in regards to bragging rights being the first to do it does that swing the favour sort of heavily in Manchester United's favour compared to Man City sort of, of, let's say copying Manchester United 20 years later 30 years later 20 years later 20 here's my 7 years but um, yeah 23 years later
1: yeah I mean it's possible look everything just everything that we've already touched on just Sir Alex Ferguson's redemption after his difficult start to life at Old Trafford the the, the the victories that we had in, in the FA Cup. Um, comeback victories against Liverpool. Going into the last day of the season to win the Premier League. Like, United so easily could have had zero trophies out of three. But managed yeah. to grasp victory at the last minute in all three competitions.
0: Liverpool last season could have literally won all four trophies.
1: Absolutely. And that's the thing. that These are the fine margins that make football. With Manchester City they are so clear and above the best football team in the world at the moment that you almost expect them to win the treble it's like well, you look yeah. at you, you look at their squad and
0: it should it should it, happen it's, but it's kind of pep guardiola's I'd say job description a little bit now Sir Alex Ferguson's job description was to win games and hopefully win the Premier League if you can win a Champions League what a great achievement but it was, it was win the Premier League yeah. you look at Pep Guardiola was the first time he won the Premier League hey, thanks Pep now start focusing on Europe now that's your job and I'm just thinking well if your job is to win the Champions League the FA Cup and Premier League should come with it so I'm just thinking that was never Sir Alex Ferguson's job he had to win the league Pep Guardiola's job the reason they brought him into Manchester City was to win the Europe and I'm just thinking that does sort of show a little bit of sign of the times and the different situations the club found themselves in at that time.
1: Yeah, it's a really valid point. Let me ask you this question: Do you think Pep walks away from Manchester City in the next year or two now? If so, let's assume they've. I they've fucking won the hope so. <laughs> the thing is, we can admire Manchester City for building a club around Pep. I think they're going to suffer from Sir Alex Ferguson I, d- I
0: don't think Pep Guardiola likes Manchester City. I think he hates it there.
1: I think so too. But, but they pay him ridiculous amounts of money. Every time he looks like he's about to leave, he happens to sign a new two or three year deal. It's not your four or five year deal that you're used to. And the reason he's doing that, he doesn't want to be there. But they, they're clearly giving him stupid amounts of money.
0: You say stupid, but if it results in a treble, is it justified?
1: Look, the, the thing with Pep is, no matter what happens, I think he could go on to win 13 Premier League titles. He could go on to win... Two Champions Leagues with Manchester City. And dare I say, he could go on to win 13 FA Cups with Manchester City. It just won't hit the same
0: because... Well, it won't hit the same because of the last point we're going to touch on. 115 charges. Now, who knows how long this is going to play out. Um, we'll be old and grey or I'll be old and bald. You'll be old and grey by the time we get an end to this. But... The I it happen it'll, in the next two years. But the 115 charges. So what's your, what's your latest thing, thinking in regards to this, in regards to... Are you just looking at it as a neutral and just it is what it is, or are you looking at it as a Manchester United fan trying to take some type of joy and take something away from Manchester City?
1: I think they will get something taken away from them. I don't think they're going to get away with this one. If you look at the, so let's go back to the charges that they had with financial fair play and the um, tribunal of sports and arbitration. I think that's the name. Court of arbitration. Court of arbitration. My apologies. So if you actually look at that case, Manchester City didn't deny guilt. They didn't deny the charges that they were charged the with. It was the time. Yeah. And now if you look at the charges that have now been pressed against them by the Premier League, they're, again, not denying it. Now, the most recent one I saw was, oh, there's an Arsenal fan that's doing the investigation. They're, they're looking just to give them the title. They're not denying the wrongdoing. Yeah. If the Premier League... Again, to, to issue 115 charges, there's something there. <laughs> there's something there. and Even if one of them sticks... Well, that, that's it and so let's assume best case scenario best case scenario is there's an asterisk worst case scenario which I think is more likely is they might nullify some of those Premier League titles I think the treble will maintain because the, the accusations range from 2008
0: to as a fan 2018. look I completely agree as a fan put yourself in the shoes of a Manchester City fan and you've just won the treble in two or three years time it gets taken off are your memories Tainted or? Well the
1: trouble will stand Because they're, they're not being yeah, Accused okay. of any wrongdoings This oh, year
0: but, but at Premier League You remember Premier League, That last the, Whatever The Aguero moment For example It's tainted legacy but, as it, Look I completely agree And I'll throw Any shit at Manchester City fans I can find But Like That memory as a fan well, Do you think it would, it would Really course. taint it
1: one hundred percent. Put yourself as a United fan. Oh, what, yeah, if, no, what if I, someone said to us, "Oh, you know that trouble you won in 0-9 The Champions League doesn't count. There were fourteen players on the pitch at the time." <laughs> no, but imagine, <laughs> like, it's not. We'll find an excuse to say, "No, nah, we still like it, yeah. we still recognise it." But you can't tell me it won't be the back of your head.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Look, it is a hard one, and look again. I am fully aware. I feel sorry
1: a... for the players. I got to say yeah. because I think no wrongdoing has been done by the Manchester City players. And like I said I like the group of players yeah. I just don't like the club And I don't like the
0: illegal way That they've manipulated I want to throw a player to you here <coughs> Jack Grealish Like him or don't like him? I've come not to like him I've come to like him Oh no would, no no I, no! I wouldn't say that I'd say If I was a Manchester City fan I'd love him He's maybe a little bit Of the Bruno Fernandes You sort of love to have him And yeah, sort of love to hate so. him the
1: way, he do- the way he dived When, when Basaka didn't touch him Really pissed me oh. off I don't like that. But Bruno does it all the time, doesn't he? Yeah. So maybe you're right. Maybe there's a bit of. Maybe he's there, Bruno Fernandes. But Bruno's double the player that Jack Grealish is.
0: Larry said, oh, I think Jack Grealish is absolutely brilliant. But I do agree Bruno Fernandes is brilliant as well. But sort of so starting to wrap up in regards to, I'll go back to stories and moments which make it more special for us fans. Which we can sort of. When we're having a discussion with any Manchester City fan we can find, we can say, no, our treble was more important and more impressive because of this. Besides Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's goal, obviously that is the obvious answer. Favourite moment of the treble winning season in terms of looking back, in terms of, sort of whether it be a story or a specific moment, etc. Besides the Solskjaer goal, um, what you're looking back. Because as I said, this Manchester City team, I can't... You now, they, they could obviously, so they watch their team every week. Maybe there is a moment, but there's not one that springs out to me. I have many moments that spring to mind for me as Manchester United. And um, as I said, I go back to stories playing such a big part in sort of your memory as a fan. And um, just your favourite to the moment from the treble winning season.
1: It has to be the the turnaround in Turin. Because United had... If you're a United fan, you can't tell me you went in confident. There's no way. Like, you mentioned all the names that that Juventus team Or
0: being 2-0 down after 10 minutes as well.
1: Well, again, like, you can't... That's Manchester United. And and that moment culminates in everything that we've already touched on in this podcast. Youth... ...progression... ...coming from behind... ...a sense of identity as a football club... ...United came from behind all the time... Um, ...counter-attacking football... ...like... ...Roy Keane... ...the captain taking the game by the scruff of the neck... ...against the world's best football team... ...he got a card... He, ...he found out he wasn't going to play in the Champions League final... ...like the game itself was a narrative... ...but then you put in the narrative of 99... ...it's phenomenal... ...and, and that like... that, ...if you remove everything that happens in Roy Keane's career after that game he goes down as a United legend but he obviously went on to achieve many great things post that moment but yeah I think without Juventus without that night in Turin the trouble doesn't happen so I think that night for me um, that's probably my highlight of 99-2000
0: there's two moments for me and look, look Roy Keane my favourite player, player of all time so I'm never sick of hearing about that night in Turin and sort of reliving that goal of course, there are two moments for me which do stick out. and Obviously, the obvious one is... Um, you know, I can see Larry taking his shirt off, as, I'm, as alluded to this, Ryan Giggs. And that goal, obviously, in regards to... On, on all these moments, say, whether it be a league game, an FA Cup or Champions League game... All these moments don't... Or if those moments don't happen, the treble doesn't happen. So the importance of all these are sort of exactly the same... Whether it be the second day of the season... Or the second leg of a semi-final in the Champions League. They're all just as important. But the Ryan Giggs goal, for obvious reasons, of course... And the other one also involving a class of '92 member does it ring a bell? What you think I would be alluding to here? But probably a moment a lot of people forget is um, in regards to sort of looking back at big moments. But for me, and one of my favourite players growing up, is there a player that springs to mind which you think I might be alluding to? There's a moment I can think of, but I
1: can't think of if it's '99. Goals
0: wasn't Paul Scholes well Paul Scholes gave me many memories obviously that goal in in the San Siro against Inter Milan which we'll obviously stay tuned for the answer to the trivia question Paul Scholes many great moments but one of the big moments that stand out for me and maybe it's sort of personal reasons I've got the moment signed in a photo of, um, when you're on YouTube if you can see behind me it might be on the um behind me on my shelf but Nicky Butt scoring a winner 3-2 at Old Trafford against Leeds United just a great turn and finish on the edge of the box just little moments like that as I said if that was against Charlton or against Sheffield Wednesday I probably wouldn't care but a homegrown player like Nicky Butt winning the match against Leeds in that fashion in a treble winning season sort of going on until we won the league on the final day if that's a 2-2 draw against Leeds at Old Trafford we're not in that position yeah. so, so just as pivotal as a FA Cup winning goal or a Champions League winning goal in regards to the treble so um All those reasons, Larry, whether they be financial, whether they be sort of the the fans' experience, or whether they just be the stories, what we saw on the pitch in regards to quality, I truly believe there are 115 reasons to why Manchester United's treble will remain far superior than what Manchester City have just done, or supposedly have just done at the time of recording.
1: Manchester United will always be a bigger football club. I don't care what anyone says. Call me biased, call me a red. So be it. Manchester United are the biggest football club in the world. And if anyone's going to challenge us for that mantle, it sure as hell is not Manchester City. The
0: last question in regards to, and this gets done far too much in regards to sort of modern media, etc. But who would win in a game? Now, football does evolve. Manchester City team, this team is better in regards to the way football has moved on. It's a far different game. they are players that look, they're 20 years into the future in regards to fitness, signs that they're faster, they're bigger, they're stronger, they're quicker, they're, they play, they, the tactics have evolved. In regards to the knowledge around, sort of research, etc., so there's no doubt about that. But in regards to, let's say, you had to play three legs, so one in '99, one in 2023, and one in the middle, sort of thing, in terms of who's getting the best. Because I accept the argument that Manchester City are better in regards to the football they play, but what I truly believe with the individuals and the sort of the team spirit of '98, '99, I think they would find a way, to sort of, to deal with it and get the job done in 90 minutes. Now, over the course of a season, maybe not. Maybe this Manchester City team is maybe in a position where they could go and get 100 points in a league, in a league campaign. Yeah. But in a one-off game, I could see Roy Keane getting getting a hold of the game. Paul Scholes starting to dictate play. Andy Cole and Dwight York and sort of popping up. I could see Dennis Irwin not making a mistake. Gap yep, Stan pocketing early in Harland. Peter Schmeichel pulling one out of the top corner. I could see a situation over 90 minutes where this team could get it done.
1: Yeah, look, it's... It's really difficult. Um, Like you said, football has changed. And United played in a a 4-4-2. Now, I think City would probably win the game, to be honest with you, simply because styles, um, the the way they play, the way they keep the ball. I think think that United side would struggle. And as much as I love Paul Scholes, I think City's midfield would have ran him ragged. And... uh, I, I think. I think if, that's if we thing. if
0: we won the toss and had the kickoff first, I believe if we had the ball first, they wouldn't get us off us with Paul skulls. Uh, I, I say that tongue was, in was, cheek. Was, was Scholes just... that
1: player at that time though? He wasn't, was he? He wasn't quite the dictator at that point.
0: He played further forward. Keane. My, my change in a combined eleven would be old keep Manchester United's team. My acceptance or my allowance of sort of cave in to include some Manchester City influence in the team would be. As great as Andy Cole and Dwight York were, what I would do, I'd bring Erling Harlan in simply for the goals, and Kevin De Bruyne just in behind. Then you could have your three-man midfield of Keane, Scholes, and De Bruyne Yeah. Over uh, uh, sort of over an old-fashioned 4-4-2, but um, Erling Haaland and Kevin De Bruyne would consider themselves lucky, in my opinion. I said it. Of course. Kevin they, De
1: Bruyne um, and Kevin,
0: uh, sorry. Kevin. No, look, of course they go into the team, but um,
1: Kevin De Bruyne and um, David Beckham playing in the same football team, you'd have some, you'd have some whip, and yeah. Paul Scholes.
0: And Ryan Giggs probably an underrated crosser of the ball as well. But um, yeah, look, two fantastic teams, one fantastic club, and I don't say that. I don't say that with any sort of bitterness. I, I truly believe Manchester United is a special club compared to Manchester City. Fair play to them in in what regards to they are achieving. A great football team that they run right. Um, they're in a position. They're very fortunate to be done so. But um, I truly believe what we witnessed in '99 and can sort of look back on um, with proud sort of eyes is far more um, special than what Manchester City are currently experiencing and I I truly, truly believe that
1: Nothing left to add mate I think that's a perfect point to leave the podcast United till we die
0: Exactly, now I think there are one or two people wanting to enter our part of the pub so we'll start to wrap up soon but um, Larry, our trivia question Um, at the start, we knocked Inter Milan out of the quarterfinals um, of the Champions League campaign now, in the following season Manchester United signed someone from that um, Inter Milan squad do you know who it was?
1: I do not have
0: a single clue. Can I have a hint? He's a French left back.
1: You're going to say it and then I'm going to be like, oh, it's him, yeah, but right. I can't.
0: You would think he came later, but he did come that season. It was Mikel Silvestre for those playing at home. He did play in those that for Inter Milan that season. Himself? He played for Inter Milan yeah. before he's moved to Manchester United. No, I like Silvestre, obviously part of our next um, Champions League um, winning season in 2007, 2008. it uh, didn't play in the final, but it was obviously part of the squad that season. But um, Mikael Silvestre, someone I always thought did very well at Manchester United. But um, hopefully everyone did enjoy that podcast. We're back in the pub. And as I said, these podcasts were released on a Tuesday morning here in Sydney or a Monday night in the UK will be focused around more topics like this in regards to away from your match reviews, away from your match sort of previews, reviews, transfers, sort of breaking news, and we'll have sort of one or two discussions that are a little bit more unique and a little bit more random, looking back at better times. Now, hopefully better times are on their way back as Manchester United fans, but you know what I mean, looking back at travels, players, careers, etc. So if you do want to get involved and um, have a chat with one of us, um, feel free to sort of throw any topics on the table. We'll happily meet you at the pub for a beer. We can do it over Zoom and FaceTime and all that, of course. But um, there's nothing better than chatting United over the pub. So hopefully you did enjoy that. If you do want to get involved or have any questions, topics, etc., throw them our way and um, we'll definitely bring it your way. So as I said, you are listening in your favourite podcast app. Whatever that allows you to do, whether that be a rating or a review or just comment on one of our socials about it, that would be very much appreciated. Um, We'll be back with you next Tuesday. And if you are just following on the podcast app, do remember we are on YouTube. Just search the United podcast on YouTube. And hit subscribe on them, and um, we'll chat to you soon. Until then, have a good one, Larry. Pleasure as always. Cheers, mate. Cheers. What do you mean? Oh,